Now more with Sandy Clough and Sean Drotar. Presented by Burnham Law. Hire the winner at BurnhamLaw.com. This is Sandy and Sean on Mile High Sports. Welcome back. Mind you, we will get back to some Nuggets talk. George Carl will join us at the uh, proverbial bottom of the hour. But we want to look at the Denver Broncos who find themselves still needing to improve their roster, Sandy, but not having a lot of cap money. Now, we've already broken this down. When you look at the additions that Denver Broncos have made in free agency, Mike McGlinchey at right tackle, Ben Powers at left guard. They added Chris Manhurts at tight end. We know that Greg Dulcich, uh, they hope to have a significant part in this offense. And you're still talking about Albert Okaway, but I'm potentially playing a role as well. That's the expectation is, given what Sean Payton does and the addition of Samaj P. Ryan, by the way, they're going to go back to more of a heavier set, two tight end sets, in an effort to not only protect Russell Wilson, but in a way to continue to build play action, plays in the offense, and build an offense in, in a similar way that basically Sean Payton has before and has had success. It's not a surprise. If you hire Sean Payton, you should expect to get Sean Payton as offense. But for the Broncos, who not too long ago gave both Cortland Sutton and Tim Patrick significant contracts, both of which at the time were celebrated as a a good preemptive move, uh, keeping them free agency. And even the money that they got does indicate that that wasn't entirely wrong. But obviously, Tim Patrick gets hurt in practice last year, misses the entire season. Cortland Sutton has had has dealt with some sort of nagging injuries that appear when he is healthy to have sapped some of the ability that he had shown in earlier seasons. Jerry Judy looks like the one receiver that has significant upside that has not quite been reached, especially the way given he finished the season and appeared to be the only receiver that had significant rapport, save Grave Dulcich, quite frankly, with Russell Wilson. Cortland Sutton is the second highest cap hit on the team this year, Sandy. If they're going to go two tight ends, you're not going through our receivers. Can't do that. Jerry Judy has to play. Do you pay Tim Patrick $11 million to sit down? Do you pay Cortland Sutton $18 million to sit down? One of these guys has got to go. It's just that simple. You still have KJ Hamler sitting out there. And the guy making $18 million has in the last two years, yes, coming off a serious knee injury. But in November of 21, this player signs a four-year deal for almost $35 million in guaranteed money, Cortland Sutton. The cap hit for this year is just south of Mm $18.3 million. That's the cap hit for 2023. Keep in mind, Russell Wilson's, given the way the contract is structured this year, is only 22, comparatively. And that's the highest on the team. What you've gotten over the last two years from Cortland Sutton is roughly 60 catches and 800 yards with a couple of touchdowns per year. That's been his level of production in the last two years since coming back from that knee injury. Let's say you get a fourth for him. I think a third is very optimistic, (laughs) unreasonably so. Let's say you get a fourth for him. You're telling me in this day and age you can't find a wide receiver on the fourth round who maybe not his first two years in the league, but let's say his second and third year in the league, 
can give you 60 catches, 800 yards, and two touchdowns. I submit that you can, and you don't have to pay $18.3 million for the privilege. The receiving ability in the NFL is is becoming so stacked, it's almost comical. I mean, when Cortland Sutton finished 34th in the league and receiving with 829 yards last year. The player directly behind him with only six yards, and by the way, had three more touchdowns, is Zay Jones of Jacksonville. I mean, nice player, but special player? I don't know. He's already bounced around an awful lot, right? He doesn't have an $18.3 million cap hit, I When you're talking in the range of Jacoby Myers, again, okay, six touchdowns. You know, it's it's when you're talking about veteran guys at that level, and you, you want to talk about young players that were hitting that, right? Okay, how about Donovan Peoples-Jones last year at Cleveland? 839 and three touchdowns. Fine. Okay. Uh, George Pickens, the rookie. Now, granted, not higher, higher pick rookie, but 801 yards, four touchdowns. And that's playing with Kenny Pickett. Joshua Palmer of the Chargers, 769 yards, three touchdowns. But these guys aren't they breaking. They grow on trees. And, and this Borderline, is not a knock they on really, They really do. I mean, it, it is it is no longer difficult to have a starting wide receiver get 800 yards on the season. When you're looking for the special guys, that number starts at about 1,300. Sandy, there were, there were eight receivers this year that had more than 1,338 yards. Eight in the league. Those are monumental years that in many years in the NFL, that leads the league. Eight guys had that. Justin Jefferson had 1,800. So I, I, I agree with you. It is not a knock on Cortland Sutton. It is a business situation. And plus, I guess when I look at some of the, the injuries that Cortland Sutton had, and I look at Tim Patrick, I'm trying to look at the difference between these two receivers functionally on an NFL football field and say, okay, what's the difference? What can Cortland Sutton do that Tim Patrick can't do? Vice versa. What is there? I think Tim Patrick has better hands. I think he's better in the back of the end zone. I think he's a better possession receiver. He basically does not drop passes. Cortland Sutton does. Cortland Sutton will make the occasional spectacular catch, but I don't notice the acrobatics in the last two years nearly as often as I did in 2019 in a single year, but that was before his knee injury. I don't see the same acrobatic I don't think he's a bad receiver, but I think Cortland Sutton has now... He's a possession possession receiver. receiver. And if I have two possession receivers, one in Cortland Sutton and one in Tim Patrick, I'm going to take the one that makes 60% of the other one. It's just that simple, right? I mean, this is a salary cap league. Sean Payton doesn't have an attachment to either one of these guys. So I get it. It's going to seem weird, Broncos fans, when Cortland Sutton gets traded for like a fourth-round pick. You're thinking that's all they got? For a second round draft, former second round draft pick that's been productive when healthy and had a 1,000 yard season in 2019. And certainly has at times put up some very memorable highlights. But for the Broncos, as it stands today, for the business of the Denver Broncos, clearing that salary off, gaining a fourth round pick, clearing the salary off, I is more critical. And I don't even think they need to spend it on a receiver. I'd be spending that fourth-round pick they get somewhere else. If, if you still believe in any way in K.J. Handler, he's got to play somewhere, and he's going to be the third guy, right? So Second-round choice Another also. Second, right. And picked only slightly behind Sutton. Both were picked in the 40s, mm-hmm. right? 
both second-round picks in the 40s. They've got nothing from Hamler, but they're only paying Hamler. They're paying a rookie deal. As far as the cap hit is concerned, under $2.3 million. Judy's under $5 million. He's at $4.83 million. For the way he produced in the last six games, and I've certainly had my criticisms of Jerry Judy over the years, his production over the final six games, 37 catches, 523 yards, three touchdowns, a reception rate of over 82%, was in the neighborhood over that same stretch of the likes of A.J. Brown and Devontae Smith of Philadelphia, C.D. Lamb of Dallas, Keenan Allen of Los Angeles, the Chargers, and the aforementioned Justin Jefferson of the Minnesota And this is what Now, I understand it's just six games, but I'll take a chance that they'll get a reasonable facsimile of that guy starting on opening day, and they're not even paying him $5 million that count against the salary cap And if in they do, you probably have a top, at bare that's, minimum, it, 20 a, re- a top 20 receiver in the league and a guy that would be playing like the first round that you invested in him. Now, if you pay him the fifth year by May 1st, right? Right. That, then his salary in 2024 is what? Something like $12 million? I think that's right. Maybe a little north of $12 million. That's a bargain. As long as he keeps playing, yeah, he plays like that. Judy of the last six games of last year. It's certainly a bargain, even if he isn't quite that good over 17 games in 2023. And if he is, then in 2024, 12 million is a pretty good deal for Jerry Judy. And that's not all pro money necessarily. Not anymore. It's a wide receiver. But if you're paying. And again, this is not a criticism of Cortland Sutton, but if you're paying a receiver money that counts over $18 million against the salary cap, he either better be averaging 20 yards a catch or or catching 90, 95 passes a year. He is doing neither. You don't pay possession receivers who catch 60 passes a year, not even four receptions per game, that kind of money and have a sound financial foundation in a salary cap sport. Over at, at SpotTrack.com, one of the good sites that takes a look at, at the way that the NFL handles its salary, and they, and they look at these player comps like you have. They looked at Jerry Judy right now, and you talked about the $12.9 million if they picked up his option. Right. Their argument is based on the way he played last year, and that includes a big chunk at the end. That's true. And looking across the board at what players make with that similar production, Jerry Judy would be a $20 million a year receiver. I mean, that's, that's just now. Yes, when you look it, at it, I think that's ridiculous, but that's where the numbers go. But that's where the numbers take you. That's where the numbers take you. And if you look at Cortland Sutton making four times or close to four times what Jerry Judy makes or counting against the cap four times as much as Jerry Judy does, I I, I just don't see how that makes any sense. And you have an alternative as a possession receiver in Patrick who is much more reliable and sure-handed 
than Cortland Sutton is at this point. I mean, and you last can we live saw him, he's with more reliable drops. than anybody. You can live with drops if you have a 20-yard per reception guy. You can live with an occasional drop. If you have a 90-95 reception a year guy, you can live with a drop every now and then. With a guy who only catches 60, you can't live with the drop rate that Cortland Sutton has had the last two years. Can't. Can't do it. Six drops last year. On, That's a lot for 60 catches. Yeah, for, on, on 60, compared to 64 catches. Right. Yeah. Now, right. Uh, it's, and to get an idea of how inaccurate Russell Wilson was, too, by the way. And and that Sutton, hurt Sutton. Sutton too. was targeted a hundred and nine times. Yeah, I, so I, I, I mean, even even putting the drops in effect, you're talking about. I mean, you can do the math here. There's 109. He had 64 catches. He had six drops. That's 70. That's 39 uncatchable targets. Yeah, that's right. That's so right. that obviously comes into play too. But but I'm I, I look at it in this situation with with Cortland Sutton as a simple fact. The Broncos need to free up the money. It has to come from somewhere. The truth is the wide receiver position is at this stage for the Denver Broncos, given what Sean Payton clearly wants to do, given his free agent additions, it is overloaded. That is the spot where you shed salary. And the second highest cap hit on the team is available. And if you're thinking, well, boy, a second highest cap hit, he's not tradable. Sure he is, because after this year, zero guaranteed money. None. So it, it, this is this is a basically... If you were to trade for Cortland Sutton, if you're a team that is de- in desperate need for a veteran receiver, it's a make good for all intents and purposes. Absolutely. Prove yourself this year. There's no guaranteed money left on the deal after this year. Prove yourself this year. And there will we'll be see teams, what we can do in 2024. And there will be teams willing to do and take that on for a fourth round pick or so. But problem for the Broncos with who to trade is, one, you're not going to get what you need out of Jerry Judy. First, Sandy did a good job of explaining why actually trading Jerry Judy at this point would be kind of foolish. Not only the financials of it, but the upswing in the play, the fact that Russell Wilson never really developed any rapport with anyone, and you want to trade the one guy who you know is young and Toward talented. Toward the end of the year, right. he made Russell Wilson look good, in he made my opinion. Better than he was. In my opinion, Jerry Judy made Russell Wilson look better in the last six games than Russell Wilson made Jerry Judy look in the last six I games. I agree with My that. opinion. I agree with you. Opinion, but I agree with you. challenge that. There, there was a lot of run after the catch. I agree with you. And that, so you don't make that trade. That doesn't make sense financially unless you're going to get a, for a first-round pick at bare minimum. And you're not. Because Jerry Judy has shown a significant flash that the Broncos should believe in, but other teams aren't going to give up a first for that. So makes no sense to trade Judy. Zero. Tim Patrick missed all of last season. Nobody's going to give you anything of significance for that, even if they've liked what they've seen before. The only guy of value, and KJ Hamler is a nothing but potential talent. Hmm. The only guy of any value is going to be Cortland Sutton. And if Darren Waller, who does have his own injury history, but it's, it's, it's less than Cortland Sutton's, and he's shown to be elite productivity at his position, if Darren Waller only gets you a third, and I get it. He's a tight end and and son's a wide receiver. But when you're talking about Waller, it's splitting hairs. He's a giant wide receiver that plays up against the line at times. The only player that makes any sense to trade is Cortland Sutton. And at this point, given the money, it doesn't make any sense to not 
trade Cortland Sutton. I get the double negative. But keeping Cortland Sutton doesn't make any sense. Moving him for whatever you can get is the best option for the Denver Broncos. And And it's better for him. You know, here's another guy who's been around here for more than a year or two and has absorbed a lot of losing. We don't know what Russell Wilson's going to look like. Is sick of it. Has no idea whether Russell Wilson's going to get much better. He has a make-do deal like we talked about. Go to a team that knows they need you to produce. That's your best opportunity to go get yourself a better contract. You're right. I mean, for the most part, players don't enjoy being traded for obvious reasons. But in this case, this really does feel like this is one of those breakups that's better for everybody. I agree. I agree. And I I think when you are enveloped by a culture of losing over time, inevitably, it wears on you. And I think of Justin Simmons that way. I think of Draymond Jones that way. And Draymond Jones, a pending free agent, said last November when asked about uh, whether he wanted to stay, his reply was, well, I'm here for now, Right, which said a lot. In very few words, said a lot. Now, Cortland Sutton, to my way of thinking, has not approached anything along those lines, either in public or privately. As far as I can remember, he hasn't gone there. But at the same time, I'm thinking for a guy who's been here for, what, four or five years, losing has to be wearing on him. And the prospect, I know Sean Payton is a proven winner, but the prospect of winning in this division isn't great. Why not welcome a trade? either to another team in this division or to, uh, which probably wouldn't happen, but uh, but another team in the conference or over in the NFC. Why not welcome that and start fresh? You're still young enough. Your career's not sure. nearing an end. You've been, relatively speaking, healthy over the last two years. Why wouldn't you welcome that? Um I don't think of Patrick Satan that way. No, nope. he's only been here two years. Yeah, okay. He's not burning now, yet. He's on his third coach, <laughs> but just not ideal. It is not. But <laughs> is I don't see not. him as a guy who's banging doors saying, "Get me out of here." Not yet. And they have an opportunity to turn this around. Obviously, and I think there's positivity around Dove Valley after adding Sean Payton. So you know, you're talking about a guy that is, that is a a proven winner. And it may change the dynamic there, but it does feel like this breakup is essentially inevitable. Speaking about proven winners, by the way, I want you to check out our friends at Burnham Law. BurnhamLaw.com, 720-845-7001. Personal injury attorneys, years of experience fighting for their clients. Locations all over that front range in Fort Collins, Boulder, Westminster, Cherry Creek, Colorado Springs, Cheyenne, and right here in the DTC where Mile High Sports is. When they're injured, they will push for you to get that maximum recovery if they have to be in settlement or it has to be in trial they will fight to get you what you deserve so when you're injured when you're hurt don't just follow somebody go to someone who will win and fight for you that's our friends at burnham law burnhamlaw.com 720-845-7001 when you're hurt you can't take that risk hire a winner 
go to our friends at Burnham Law. We'll turn our attention to the Denver Nuggets. Turn back to that because we'll have an opportunity to speak to, well, a Hall of Fame coach of the Denver Nuggets who has a few things to say about how that works. We'll be delighted to be joined by former Denver Nuggets coach and Hall of Famer George Carl next on My Life Sports. Sandy Clough and Sean Trotar, weekdays at 2 on Mile High Sports. We're very happy to be welcoming the Hall of Fame former coach of the Denver Nuggets, George Carl, who is part of the Truth and Basketball podcast that he records with, uh, well, the man to my left, Sandy Clough. Thanks for joining us, Coach. Thanks for having me. Great time to be a basketball fan. Roy, is is it ever? And and I'll I'll tell you what we we have questions for you, but we actually had a text come in, and our caller and text line is three zero three eight three one thirteen forty, and uh, Danny Bailey has it. So we wanted actually our first question to come from a texter, Danny. Yes, Coach. This is from uh, a loyal listener of the show, Roger. He says, "I think Malone is wanting to wrap up the West and rest everyone." After that, but he needs to figure out how to stagger without Murray. Well, I think he's got some time to play with that. But right now, I, uh, you know, I think the guy I want to rest more than anybody is Jokic. (laughs) He's the guy that statistically you're really, really good when he's on the floor. (laughs) And you're really, really bad when he isn't on the floor. Uh, Murray sometimes has a similar, you know, effect upon the game, but I would right now, I wouldn't mind them stun down Jokic and of the next 10 games, play him every third game or something like that, or a game that he wants to play in. Um, the other guys, I, I don't think need much rest other than Murray and, and Jokic, in my opinion. Um, uh, Actually, I think everybody says Porter Jr. has a bad back, but I think Porter Jr.'s got to play. He's not even going to get better when he plays. He's not going to get better sitting on his butt. And, you know, and I still think their rotation is undetermined right Mm now. And until they get a pulse on how to play from the bench, I think that's always going to be right now, in my mind, my most nervous uh, side of the ball, a side of the coin that has not been developed at a point where I think it's NBA championship caliber. The basketball reference numbers suggest, Coach, that the Nuggets are the second-best offensive team in the league, but they're only 15th on the defensive end. Uh, correct me if I'm wrong, but I believe you said on a podcast we did a few weeks or even a few months ago that at least for playoff purposes, the Nuggets needed to be more of a top 10 defensive team. Uh, we talk about offense more than we do defense, generally speaking, but heading into the playoffs, are the Nuggets playing defense as well as they need to play it come playoff time? 
I can answer that probably yes, and I can also answer it no. Their basketball defensive habits, I'm a no to. They don't. They, they do not have enough consistent defensive habits. Transition defense, the boxing out, running back, fight, uh, matching up in, on pickups in transition. Uh, their pick and roll coverage is very one face. But in the same sense, I gotta applaud them because they are a top five defensive team in close games. And they have been a very good, a much better defensive game in the fourth quarter than most of the games. So what I'm saying is I think they reacted well in close games and in fourth quarter games. But their habits do scare me. They do scare me. Uh, But I, I still think they have some defensive guys that Malone has the ability to be versatile with. And I think that helps you in a seven-game series. Be able to, to mix and match matchups and move guys around on guys sometimes can become a big asset in a playoff series. Coach, when you, when you talk about so the, the idea of, of moving things around is they try to get a bench to gel, and you're trying to win, you're trying to do a lot of different things at once. What are the challenges from a minute by minute when you're on the sideline trying to figure out, knowing you want to get this person a little more time or you want to mix and match this player and see this player with another player and find out how they gel on the court? How do you sort of microwave all of it so it can be ready at the time you need it to be ready? Oh, man. That usually comes by by different game plans throughout the season on who you want to play with each other. Uh, I think the one one negative of not only this year's team, but the last couple of years' team, they never got to a consistent rotation, and I, they've never gotten to be in a real strong bench. And to me, in the playoffs, your bench is going to have to win you at least a game. Right. And... And, and, you know, most of the time, the bench is usually going to perform better at home than on the road. But in the same sense, um, I, I, I just like, I like their bench. I like the players, but they're not meshing together. I mean, I like, I like Bruce Brown. Uh, you know, I, I personally, I think Sandy knows that I would bring Porter Jr. off the bench. Right. Rather than Jamal. I think Jamal, I think right now, because of his injury and because of his level of confidence, I think he needs Jokic more than Michael Porter Jr. needs Jokic. <laughs> and if I, if I have to have a guy playing good in the playoffs, I want that guy to be Murray and not Michael Porter Jr. if I had a choice. I'd like him both to help me win a game or two. But right now, Murray seems to be searching a little bit. And the guy that's the security blanket for everybody is that guy, guy named Jokic, that just makes, hell, he might make you guys look good on the court. (laughs) Well, he'd make him look better than than I am, that's for sure. (laughs) Hey, uh, we talked about this a little bit earlier on the podcast, but uh, we both reached the same conclusion. Is there a team in the first round among 
eight or nine teams that could possibly provide opposition to the Nuggets in the first round of the playoffs. Out of that group, and I'm talking about Clippers, Golden State, Dallas, Minnesota, Utah, Lakers, New Orleans, and Oklahoma City, is there any one of those teams you would want to avoid in the first round based on what you're seeing right now? Well, Sandy, I think you know I'm in love with Oklahoma City. Uh, that's a team right now that's playing a young team that's playing with hunger, with intensity. They're well, well coached and well, well connected. And they kind of have a little bit of a useful threat to them that I, I, I respect. I felt the same way earlier about Memphis, but I think Memphis has gotten a little arrogant and a little immature, uh, but I still think Memphis is going to be a, a, a tough out. But the two teams that come to mind to me, I know you think I might be crazy, is I probably would give respect to LeBron and say I would not want to see LeBron in the first round. I think that means it's going to be at least a six and possibly a seven-game series. And Oklahoma City, from a standpoint of nothing to lose, a team that's going to play free and loose in the first round of the playoffs is that right now is Oklahoma City. And Oklahoma City has gotten gotten better every month, and their superstar is growing up right in front of us. I think Sandy said today that he, you probably would take the guy from OKC, and we got to get that guy a nickname because I can't pronounce his name. I know. SGA. <laughs> Come SGA. <laughs> SGA, I think Sandy expressed today, he thought would be right now, he thinks might be better than John Morant. Just because of the baggage that Morant is carrying uh, uh, around with him right now, and as far as the mental health is is concerned, uh, you know, God bless him, uh, get your help now. Uh, rather than sacrifice uh, hundreds of millions of dollars. Uh, he seems to be doing that. Wish him all the best. He's a dynamic player. We both love him. But I think right now on offense and on defense, given the fact that he doesn't carry uh, any of that baggage seemingly around with him, I like Gilgis Alexander, Alexander uh, especially as a playoff opponent. Uh, he would scare me more than Morant would scare me. And I agree Ooh. with your assessment of Memphis. Uh, that they have become uh, a team that acts as if it's won something when, in fact, it hasn't won anything. And that really does piss off your opponent. That will fire up an opponent when they play Memphis. And what's funny is we're ignoring Golden State. Yes. <laughs> I mean, the whole thing comes down to is if Wiggins comes back. Yeah. And, you know, you know if Wiggins comes back, I, I, I'm, I'm nervous about Golden State. I would be, too. If Wiggins... If Wiggins doesn't come back, I'm not nervous about Golden State. And it's part of the reason that this stretch for the Nuggets is more than just the end of the regular season. It really is the push for their first effort to win an NBA title. So make sure you check out Truth and Basketball. It'll be Coach Carl and Sandy Clough. They recorded the new one today. So while you're at it, you know, check out Coach's new media company, Truth Plus Media, podcast on sports, leadership, human performance. Uh, find them at truthplusmedia.com or Apple, Spotify, Google, YouTube, you name it. Happy to have a partnership here with Mile High Sports. Uh, great to talk to you, Coach. Thanks so much. Okay, guys. I look forward to talking to you along the way. It's going to be a good ride for the next two months. Yeah, it certainly will. Thank you. Nice, Coach.
Coach okay, Carl, uh, having the opportunity to join us there, obviously you, you learn a, an awful lot from just a, a couple minutes of talking with Coach, but I, I did think it was interesting to hear him look at the way the bench works. And yeah. we're kind of we're coming up against it, but I want to discuss that because we've talked about how the, the Nuggets problem right now on the court is the bench. It doesn't gel. Coach Carl had an interesting thing to say right there about how you get that started. I'm not sure the Nuggets are doing that necessarily, Sandy. So uh, I think when we break down this team a little bit and we look at the game they have to finish that road trip in Washington, we have to look at the way the bench plays because we want, well, one, we want to see them more, right? Because we want to see fewer minutes from Jokic and Murray. We would agree with that. We'd love to see blowouts where that's not the case. So we will take a look at the bench for the Denver Nuggets and find a way to uh, break down if actually Michael Malone is doing what George Carl said to do to make sure that you can build that bench in the way you need to build it. We'll do that next on Mile High Sports. This is Sandy Clough and Chandro Tar on Mile High Sports. I thought we might have been on uh, afternoon drive for a minute with Anilo Puro and Cody Rourke. Little Grateful Dead. Anilo. Love it. Despite Anilo's uh, rather perplexing age to be a deadhead. Is. Somehow. So uh, well, they'll be coming up next, of course, as they always do. You know, go to an afternoon drive here. But make sure you stick around. Do a terrific, terrific job. But we looked a little bit at, at what I want to. I want to backtrack. We just had Coach Carl on it. If you missed any part of that, you can always go to MileySports.com, or you can get the free Miley Sports app. That's even easier, and get those interviews. But uh, Coach Carl on the show just a couple minutes ago talked about in response to my question of how you build a bench. How do you how do you make sure you can get some of these guys the time on the court so they can get a little bit of synergy, so they can get used to each other, so you know how to function together? Because the, the Nuggets bench is talented, but discombobulated. And they haven't had the opportunity to really put that all together. Reggie Jackson spoke to it a couple of weeks ago, and it doesn't seem to have gotten any better. Well, Coach Carl said, I thought that was interesting. That has to be part of the game plan. You have to decide in advance that you want to see this player with that player. You have to plan that out to make sure that they have time on the court together. That isn't the kind of things you do by feel that you have to think about. it. So I guess I would guess from the outside looking in, I'm not in the, I'm not in the Nuggets team meetings prior to a game. I'm not going to tell you I am, but it appears to me, Sandy, from the outside looking in that either Michael Malone is not spending a lot of his time game planning on getting those guys a little time together to gel or in the heat of the moment, his sort of instinct, instead of sticking with that game plan, is to tinker. And the end result is you have sort of mismatched groups and guys who only get two, three minutes in weird situations of the game together and can't really gel and bring that forward to the next game. It's it's like we're you're seeing a, a Nuggets team the way that Michael Malone coaches. And it, it is not entirely a criticism. It is an observation. Michael Malone appears to approach, and I think you'd agree with this, Sandy, every game is its own little universe. I agree. And it needs to be won in any way you have to win it today. And it goes on to the next game and the next game and the next game. And we talked about how 
uh, home, important home court advantage is in the NBA playoffs, especially for the Denver Nuggets. And you can make the argument that approach is going to get them, for the first time in their history, the top seed in the West. So, I mean, it sounds pretty defensible. At the same time, if your objective is to win the whole thing, eventually you're going to need a bench that is a functional unit that isn't out there just to stall for time until Nikola Jokic comes back out, but actually brings you something beneficial for the game. And I think they have the players to do that. I agree. I think they have the players, and I'm not saying it's easy to find the right combinations, but it, it, it does change from game to game, and I, I understand that you want Jokic getting some rest for the first four minutes of the second quarter, maybe even the last minute or so of the first quarter, and then you want to get him either late third quarter or the beginning of the fourth quarter, four to six minutes. And and certainly in the playoffs, that makes all the sense because you know you have to play Jokic 37, 38 minutes a game in the playoffs. Maybe even more than that, maybe even closer to 40 than that. Murray is going to have to be around 35, 36 minutes in the playoffs. I just don't think it's wise to play them that much now. This month, both are playing quite a bit more than they were playing in February or in any of the earlier months this year. And again, I think you've got to get Bruce Brown back to where he was in December, January, February. He seems to have fallen off a bit in March. Christian Brown is now getting minutes after not getting minutes and not even being a part of the rotation for a very long time. Jeff Green in certain situations can be useful, but you've got to be judicious in the way you use him. Then the second level, and to me at least one of these guys, has to be a 12 to 15-minute guy per game in the playoffs. Bryant, Jackson, Chanchar, Maybe Najee slash Jordan, but they're two end of the bench. Yeah, and yeah, and of course Najee's health is always uh, at this point in, in doubt. And Brown and Brown, right? B R O W N and B R A U N, both certainly on the defensive end of the floor can guard a number of positions. Yep. They, You're they, right. Bruce Brown is 6'4, plays as if he were 6'7. Christian Brown is 6'6, maybe even a little taller, and about 220, 225, much like Bruce Brown, built like a rock, can guard any position from one through four. Mm hmm. I think you've got to find a way for those two guys to get not just rest minutes, but at times significant minutes. If there is a hot wing player on the opposition at the beginning of the game, either one is capable of coming in and shutting that guy off. 
but I think most of all, you need energy. George's point on Michael Porter coming off the bench is that you get instant offense right. from him. Now, the, the challenge there, as it and would he be can from, play more easily independent of Jokic yes, than can. Jamal Murray can play independent of Jokic. Absolutely. And, and it makes sense. The problem, of course, is the challenge when you're talking about any players like that of the status of being a starter. Sure. And uh, we saw that most recently with Will Barton, who is also a player that was unquestionably best off the bench. And Barton bristled every single time that he was even considered that he'd be a bench player at one point saying, uh, you know, flat out, I'm a starter, which is always kind of funny because I thought the coach decided that. But that's why I guess why Will Barton's bouncing around and, and that's the way it goes. But um, that's a tough sell in Porter Jr.'s case. And I would go so far as to say I get that. I get are also I get, giving him $207 million total I get on his contract. Uh, but. George Carl's forgotten more about basketball than I'll ever know. I don't think that's a conversation that can be had this season. It has to be an off-season thing that's going to have to be sold over time. Oh, yeah. I, I don't think you can all of a sudden in the playoffs tell Porter he's coming or off Or even the right now. You can't say we, no, you know, no, you, even if you told him, we're going to guarantee you, you're going to get the same, absolute same minutes. You don't even have to play as much defense. We just want you to get buckets, which is what you're best at. Right. And maybe that can happen in the off-season, but it can't happen now. No. So they're going to have to find a way to make these things fit. And I worry, given the schedule they have with the teams that they have left on this, on this Sandy, that Michael Malone's style of coaching, which as I said, is clearly defensible. He's, he's about to lead the Nuggets to something they've never done, which is immensely important. And one of the few t- reasons that they actually may have a chance to, to get to the NBA finals for the first time. I don't, think this bench situation is going to get fixed because I don't think Michael Malone is going to look at certain games and say, I'm willing to maybe throw this one on the trash heap because I want to invest in my bench. I just don't think that's the way he's wired and the way he coaches. To me, the Milwaukee and Philadelphia games are not important games when you talk about winning and losing. I think it's important that they play a cohesive game against those two teams, but those are Eastern Conference teams. And you don't have to beat both. In the Western Conference, to get to the NBA Finals, to play one of those Eastern teams, and only one of those Eastern teams, you have to beat multiple teams, right? Mm -hmm. So to me, down the stretch here, yes, the game tonight's important in the sense that it gives them another road win, and to my way of thinking, all but puts away the conference title for them if they win tonight. I, I, I can't see them being caught uh, if they're up, you know, three or four games uh, with nine games to go. I, I, I don't see that. Milwaukee and Philadelphia, uh, they're Eastern teams. Then you get into the manipulation, which we've talked about at some length, with New Orleans at Phoenix, Golden State, at Houston, again, a game that doesn't mean very much. Houston's not a possible playoff opponent. But then you have at Phoenix, at Utah, and home against Sacramento, which could be a preview of the Western Conference Finals. Really conceivably. Good. Conceivably. Yeah. I mean, well, yeah, they're so, the number three so, team uh, in the conference. Again, they, they, there's some games in there that you would want to win – there are others 
where you may not mind losing to a team and and resting some guys and getting a look at Bruce Brown, Christian Brown, Jeff Green, Reggie Jackson, Thomas Bryant with other starters. Let's say you rested Jokic for the last game against Sacramento or rest him in Utah okay. or rest him in Houston. I mean, you can't beat Houston without uh, Nikola yeah, if Jokic. You, if you can't, there's a problem. Come on. Right. Come on. Uh, so th- those are some things I think you can think about going into the playoffs. But I agree with George. Your bench is going to have to give you enough so that in at least one playoff game per series, you're looking at the bench and saying, without the bench, we might not have won tonight. Right. The I, bench I, I could not pushed agree us more. over the top. It's going to be required. It's going to be required. You it- can't play with six or seven guys in the playoffs. The Nuggets are trying to when get... When you've played at least five of those guys a ton of minutes during the season. Yeah, they're in uncharted territory, and they're trying to get into more uncharted territory. So some of these things that have gotten them where they have gotten to, that's great. But the playoffs, especially when you get into the deeper rounds, are a different animal. And yes, the Nuggets will have the time to deal with that, I guess, but that time... Starting to run out. We will see. The Nuggets will take on the Washington Wizards tonight, finishing their five-game road trip. The Avalanche will be at home against the Pittsburgh Penguins with an opportunity to take over first place in the Central Division and control their own destiny the rest of the way out. We'll obviously talk about that. Thanks to uh, George Carl for joining us. Of course, great to have the Hall of Famer. We'll have uh, uh, CBS's Romy B tomorrow. will join us as well, so make sure you tune in for that. Thanks to Danny Bailey in the booth, putting everything together. Andrew Detmer on the video side. Andrew is going to launch his own podcast, by the way. I'm pro wrestling, so get with the wrestling. You can make sure you check that out, too. For Sandy, I'm Sean. We'll be back tomorrow. Afternoon Drive is next, right here on Mile High Sports.